Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our text from the Holy Gospel, the 10th chapter of St. John. These two verses, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. A little more than a month ago, a part of the Distinguished Speakers series of Nova Southeastern University near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a man stepped up onto the podium to address a crowd of students and faculty that numbered over 2,500 people. A man of small stature, rather fail, uh, frail looking, quite chronically ill. In fact, that's why, according to what I read, he was paroled from prison in 2007, and since then he's been on the college lecture tour, an advocate of physician-assisted suicide. Many of you will remember him by the name that the press gave him way back in the 1950s when he was doing experimentation on those who were dying. He was then first called by that name that would identify him for the rest of his life. He was called at that time, you'll recall, Dr. Death because of the experimentation that he would do with those who were dying. And then in 1958, when he wrote a paper suggesting that inmates should be euthanized and that their organs would be harvested, and then in 1960, when he proposed that condemned criminals be used for medical experimentation, and all of these, of course, were radical thoughts at the time. But then, in 1989, he developed a device to assist suicides, a device successfully used by 133 of his patients during the next decade, until in 1998 he videotaped an assisted suicide in which he, not the patient, pressed the switch that released that lethal drip. And the video played on CBS's 60 Minutes, and Dr. Jack Gavorkian, you'll recall, was arrested at that time for first-degree murder. The man dubbed Dr. Death by magazines and by newspapers alike. Now go back with me about 2,000 years to a town much different, to a place called Nain, where there's a dead young man who's being carried to his final resting place, accompanied by his grieving mother who had not long before that buried his father, and our Lord Jesus is there, and he very deliberately moves over to the funeral procession, and he stops that procession, and he says to the woman's son, who is lying there, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the dead man sat up, scripture says, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave the lad back again unto his mother. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Or come with me to another street of another town back then, a larger town, one named Capernaum, a larger town with a busier street to the house of a man whose name was Jairus, whose little 12-year-old daughter had died, the only child of her mother and father, and she's lying there in the upper room of their home. He enters the room where her frail little body lies so still and breathless, and he takes her gently by the hand, and he says unto her, Tabitha Kubi, little girl, I say unto thee, rise up. 
And immediately, Scripture says, the girl got up and she began to walk. Or come with me to the streets of yet another town, one called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. The crowd that follows Jesus to the seminary, a cemetery outside of the city walls where Jesus stands before then, the tomb of a good friend of his named Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and listen, as with divine authority, Jesus cries out, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died, Scripture says, came forth bound by foot and with wrappings, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. What a striking contrast between these two different scenes of two different times that we see. On one street, a man comes saying, I've come to bring death. And on another street, a man comes saying, I have come to bring life. And in today's text, that same man who said, I've come to bring life, says, I've come to bring life abundantly. In this Easter season past, we've been celebrating now. The victory over death that our Lord Jesus Christ has had, a victory that is ours indeed eternally, but that eternity has begun already now within holy baptism. Christ has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, not just in a future time, but even now. Even now, for us, he overcomes those things that would so easily bring death not only to our physical bodies, but also to our human spirit and ultimately to the human soul. And if there's anything that brings death to the human spirit and to the human soul as we live out the life God has given us to live here, it most certainly is that element of fear. Fear can so easily quicken and can so easily bring death of a certain kind to that human soul, result, resulting in, in stress that leads ultimately to destroying us. Notice in today's gospel that Jesus refers to us as sheep. According to Philip Keller, some of you have read his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he brings up some excellent points in his book about a shepherd and how a shepherd cares for his sheep. According to Keller, this shepherd of great experience, sheep simply refuse to lie down and rest unless they are free from fear. Owing to their timidity, sheep are devastated by fear. It sickens them. If left unchecked, in fact, Fear will kill them. Keller learned from his own experience because in one day's time, nine of his choicest sheep, each of them with lamb, nine of them died the night before because the flock was disturbed by a cougar. The cougar had not been able to sink its teeth into a single one of the sheep, and yet because of the fear of the cougar, nine of his sheep had died. In the course of time, he says, I came to realize that nothing so quieted, nothing so reassured the sheep as to see the shepherd, as to see me and to hear me in the field with them. The presence of their master, their owner, their protector, put them at ease as nothing else could. And this applied whether it was day or night. You see, it's in the grip of fear that most of us, like sheep, are unable to cope with the harsher realities and complexities of life. Our first impulse is to simply get away from that that troubles us, to try to run away from it. The problem with that is, is we can't outrun those things. So whenever we pause to catch our breath, they're still there like the wild dogs that are yipping at our heels, pushing us on, exhausting us, robbing us of the joy of life and living. It's only as we listen 
to the voice of the shepherd of Jesus calling us by name as he did in holy baptism and we hear him calling us again even through his word today it's only then that we're delivered from that fear that would otherwise paralyze us and rob us of so much that he would have us have the good shepherd calls his sheep by name Jesus says and he leaves them out and he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow because they know his voice it's when we by faith know that Christ has gone before us into tomorrow whatever that tomorrow holds for us we know that our good shepherd is there and where he is there will be life and there will be life abundantly and even today he comes to us through his word and there in his holy sacrament to assure us of his presence with us today that we might be sheep who can rest in the presence of even the greatest of foes for God hath not scripture says given us a spirit of fear but rather one of power and love and sound mind and what's a sound mind but a mind that's at ease a mind that's at peace knowing that the Good Shepherd is here he will not fail his flock the gates of hell shall not succeed against his flock and overcome them. It's a mind not perturbed, harassed, or obsessed with fear or foreboding for the future. It's a mind that has come by faith to say with the psalmist of old, I will both lay me down in peace and I will sleep, O Lord, for thou hast caused me to dwell in safety. Christ lives. And he overcomes our fears, which would otherwise deprive us of living abundantly here and now as we await for that perfect fulfillment of life that comes in the hereafter. The second thing that prevents us from living life abundantly so often as we live it out now before we get there to that hereafter to which he's called us and for which he's created us, the second problem that so often enters our life to keep us from having life abundantly now is the problem of guilt. And how many people have guilt over past sins committed, guilt over things that they've done before, guilt that weighs down heavily upon them? Maybe you have that too. What past sin nags away at you? Is it something that you did years ago that still haunts you now, even years later? Perhaps recurring scenes in your mind, which if reproduced with video cam accuracy for your family and your friends to see would leave them shocked and would leave you absolutely embarrassed but you thank God that they will never know of it but you know that he knows all things and yet those past sins though you know you've been forgiven because of what he's told you over and over again still those past sins trouble you they still hang like weights about your neck dragging your spirit low from time to time past sins of thoughts or of words or or deeds that simply won't let go unresolved guilt even in the Christian's life if that guilt goes unresolved it takes its toll over the course of time it takes its toll upon the human spirit prevents us from living life abundantly now as our Lord would have us live it ask the psalmist ask King David he surely knows remember what he said he says why art thou cast down O my soul why art thou cast down within me and disquieted within me those are the words of a man who was being robbed of life's joys by guilt that troubled him 
The words of the shepherd who referred to his soul being cast down because as a shepherd he knew how pathetic sheep are who have been cast down. It's a certain term and a certain phrase that's significant. A cast down sheep is a sheep that's in a bad condition. It's a sheep lying helplessly on its back and its feet are kicking up above and it can't turn itself over and it struggles to stand up but it has no success in doing so and all it can do is kick its feet. Sometimes it bleats a little for help but usually it just lies there lashing about in frightened frustration and if the shepherd doesn't arrive on the scene in a relatively short time the sheep can even die if it lies there struggling because gas is built up in its stomach and eventually cut off even circulation. It's a life-threatening condition to have a cast down sheep why art thou cast down, O my soul, David cries. Guilt, you see, can do that. It can cast us down and leave us helpless and rob us not only of abundant lives, but also of life itself. And if you're ever going to get out from under guilt suffocating weight, it's only as the Good Shepherd comes. And the Good Shepherd speaks to us and seeks us out and finds us and lifts us up from our cast-down position and turns us upright and sets us upright on our feet and removes our guilt from us as he removes and assures us that our sins have been forgiven us and that he surely did, didn't he? Didn't he remove the weight of sin from you and guilt from you? I'm the good shepherd, Jesus declares. I lay down my life for my sheep. He's the one, St. Peter says, who bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live in righteousness. And thus by his wounds you have been healed. And because he's done that for us, aren't we the very ones of whom St. John speaks in today's epistle and says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He's forgiven us. He sets us upright again. I, I've come, Jesus says, I've come to you this day that you may have life. He comes to you right now again through his word, through his sacrament, through his very body and blood to give you that life that sets you upright before him and puts you in that position in which you can breathe again. And finally, the abundant life of Christ is ours not only as he deals with our sins or as he deals with our fears, but that upright life in Christ also is that life in which we're enabled to deal with our tears. Our tears, how universal tears are. Who among us has not shed our share of tears? Who among us has never wept? In his book entitled The Valiant Papers, one Kelvin Miller writes about the universality of tears. And he says, crying is so common in this world, laughter can be heard here and there, but by and large, weeping predominates whether done by infants in the open or by adults alone in the dark. And consider this, he says, what for newborn babies is the sign and the evidence that they're alive, not laughter, but crying. Crying, he says, is the sign of life. How universal tears are from the youngest to the oldest. Some we can deal with quite effectively on our own, like those of a young woman named Clara Null who wrote the following in a Christian magazine. She said, it seemed 
like one of the worst days of my life, the washing machine broke down, the telephone kept ringing, my head ached, the mail carrier brought me a bill that I had no money to pay. Almost to the breaking point, she said, I lifted my one-year-old into his high chair and I leaned my head against the tray and I simply began to cry. And then it happened. Without a word, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and he stuck it in mine. <laughs> Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've known those times when tears are somewhat easily and even quickly and humorously wiped away. I think we've all been there. But it's not always that way, is it? Some tears don't wipe away so easily. There are those tears that seem nearly acidic. Those tears that seem to have a burning permanence in our lives. Those tears that won't so easily go away. Tears of a broken relationship that refuses to be mended. Tears of a serious illness that refuses to be healed. Tears of a long-sought dream that suddenly we discover will never become reality as we once thought. Tears of suffering, tears of watching someone we love suffer, tears of compassion, tears that flow for years over loved ones that we miss. Some tears may be dealt with easily, but these tears are not. These are the kind of tears that require divine intervention. The kind of tears that can only be dealt with by the Good Shepherd who came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so it is that the Apostle of the Apocalypse, the Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation, the Lamb at the center of the throne, he will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a promise. What a promise for our living, what a promise for our dying, as even this true story relates. A pastor was called to the bedside of one of his parishioners who was deathly ill. And the pastor, the old gentleman said, the pastor, the old gentleman said, I, I, I know that I'm about to die. And the pastor asked him, are you afraid? Afraid, the man said, I'm a bit uneasy about it, not having experienced it before, but afraid, no, because you see, as I pass through this unfamiliar place, the one who has led me through all of life's unfamiliar places is still with me, and he's promised that no one can snatch me out of his hand. And as he spoke, his emotions were stirred and tears began to roll from his eyes, but because the old man was too weak, to wipe away his own tears, the pastor took his handkerchief out and he gently and tenderly put it to the old man's face, at which the old man smiled and said, Thank you, sir. The next time tears are wiped from my eyes, God himself will be doing it. That time comes for us all. That time when God himself, scripture says, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he says then, there shall be no more death, there shall be no more mourning, no more crying, no pain anymore, because all of these former things will have then passed away. 
And that's life. And that's having life most abundantly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.